Matthew chapter number 6, I ask that you continue to pray for Miss Glenda Davis who will be being moved in ICU as they run tests and try to discover more as to what happened. Transpired one uh, blessing was that her daughter-in-law was staying there overnight and happened to be there uh, this morning when um, she started going into convulsion seizure and, uh, and that was a, a great help and blessing. Uh, just for the Lord working that detail out. But let's continue to pray for Mrs. Davis, and as we uh, find out more, we'll relay so we can pray accordingly. And then I want to thank you also. I don't say a lot about Christy unless uh, it's asked, but uh, thank you for praying for her. But she's had a little bit of a setback uh, just with the, um, uh, the pain aspect, and was just uh, last night. Um, going into um, Friday, late Friday night and into all day yesterday, moving into day, just uh, a significant increase in the pain. And uh, it's just a feeling of a little bit of a setback in that sense. And um, I, since the surgery, I get away right after the service so I can get back over there. And I just appreciate your uh, flexibility and understanding and praying for her and continue to do so. Matthew chapter 6, let's stand together. We'll look at verse number 24. Matthew 6 and verse 24. Jesus speaks in this great sermon on the mount. He says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Things possessions, money. Many of our cars have indicator lights in them that let you know when something's wrong or if there's a deep problem. Some of you haven't recognized it because you drive around with it on, and so you become oblivious to it. But it's letting you know something's not right or something needs to be tended to. I think one of the areas, and maybe it's one of the most blatant ways that a stronghold can be revealed in our country as well as in our lives. Maybe no greater warning or distress signal than that of debt. Debt. Debt level among God's people is astounding. And many in the body of Christ are living in economic slavery. Slavery to consumer debt that controls their lives. I'm going to preach this final stronghold message on victory over debt strongholds. Thank you. Please be seated. We'll follow the same progression as with the other strongholds. We'll see the stronghold itself. Then we'll see number two, God's viewpoint. Then number three, God's solution. And again, I've selected the strongholds that are the most prevalent within our society, from food to chemical abuse, sexual strongholds, marital strongholds, and then debt strongholds. A stronghold we've defined as a pattern of unrighteousness that holds you hostage outside of the will of God. It's a pattern of unrighteousness, wrong thoughts, wrong behavior that hold you hostage outside of God's will for your life. 
When it comes to debt in our country, according to the 2021 survey and statistics, that our household net worth has risen in America at $141 trillion in the summer of 2021, but also what has risen is debt. The total person debt in the United States is at an all-time high of $14.96 trillion. The average American debt per U.S. adult is $58,604. And 77% of American households have at least some type of debt. Now let's pause for a moment. Let me help us define debt. What is debt? Plain and simple, debt is owing any money to anybody for any reason. Debt is owing any money to anybody for any reason. Now you can put your spin on it as you do with your spouse as to why you're justified in purchasing that whichever you've been fighting over. But debt is simply owing any money to anybody for any reason. If you have debt, you've most likely agreed to the terms of payment. And those terms mean specific time periods which you give specific payments until the debt is paid off. And typically with interest. Interest is that extra cost that the lender charges for borrowing their money. Credit card debt is some of the most significant debt. Eight out of 10 adults in America have at least one credit card. And 45% of American households carry a balance, meaning 45%, half of American households, they don't pay their credit cards down to zero each month, meaning they're not paying with their own money, they're paying with somebody else's money. That's just over 55 million households that have this kind of debt. Now listen, the average credit card debt per household with this type of debt is $14,241, with the total in America hitting $787 billion. Now, the average APR, that's the annual percentage rate or your interest rate on credit cards, is at a measly 17.13%. And those 55 million households who have credit card balances pay that average interest. Think of it like this. If you multiply 17.13%, by the 787 billion Americans owe, that's about 134.81 billion credit card dollars credit card companies will make on interest alone. Interest alone. Don't buy into credit cards are our friends. Don't buy into that. Um, 
don't, I, I've heard the excuses. I know it's running through people's brains. I know you're going to have all this. But let me tell you, the danger with trying to push the idea of credit cards is like trying to tell a, a man who struggles in the purity arena. A man sitting down in the Conqueror series, that'd be like Brother Foote telling a man struggling, keeping his brain pure. Well, try to only watch R-rated movies every now and then. No, that's not going to help anybody. Or telling a man who is struggling with substance abuse, drink in moderation. Moderation is the key. No, it doesn't help anyone who's struggling with a stronghold. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Half of our American society, meaning statistically half of the people sitting in here have a stronghold of debt. And when someone says credit cards are your friend, the same people pushing credit card applications on our young people are the same ones pushing condoms as well. And it's not to help you out. It's to help. Have you ever noticed credit card companies, the small offices they have? No, they're skyscrapers. And they don't have no-name people advertising. They're rich and famous. And, the who, and when you see that person, you say, man, LeBron James, I got I, I to gotta get a credit card if he's saying I got to get one. I'm telling you, it is an industry. Who, who, who wouldn't want to own a part of that when you're making $134 billion in interest alone? You may hear credit card holders say, we don't carry a balance, but really more of them do carry a balance than don't. In fact, the Federal Reserve's reserve shares that only 48% of Americans with credit cards actually pay their bill in full every month. And if you paid your bill in full every month, they don't like you. You're not really helping them. They're not there to help you out. It is a... We know how to make this thing work. It's a scheme. It's, it's, it's a way in which it is going to meet whatever desire you have, and they've got a way in which to do it. The other 52% are carrying debt and adding to those interest fees, and that $787 billion statistic. See, credit card rewards are nothing really but bad news. I read them all the time. I get emails that, that give me the top credit cards and the best credit card rewards. And I, and I watch them. I, I have flown airlines. I fly regularly. I fly sometimes uh, weekly. And, and, I, and I watch those and I watch how they juggle the thing. And I read their news, I read their newsletters, and I see how they jockey around. And it's, it's not because, oh man, we want to help you out. Some of you are really struggling. We want to give you more rewards. No, it's some man sitting in the office of a skyscraper who says, we're going to make more off of you. They don't care how many times you've got a mortgage and, and refinance and, 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 and do, we don't really care. We're here to make money off of you. And usually who are they making money off of? The BFs and the PFs. And, uh, and those are the ones. And really more so maybe the simple-minded that are mentioned in Proverbs. You know, if impulse buying and overspending come naturally to you, 
the pressure to spend more to get those points and miles is going to be real. Anybody who is impulsive, anybody who doesn't have a budget, anybody who overspends, you're the last person who needs a credit card. I don't care, how, I don't care what kind of rewards you get. You buy, you buy five, you get 25 free. You're not the one who needs that. That's just like telling the alcoholic, why don't you just adjust a little bit to moderation? No, why don't you just stop it all together because it's a stronghold that is strangling the life out of you. Listen, after racking up $5,000 in debt on your credit card, you'll wish you could swap out your rewards for just a large payment towards that debt. You say, I disagree. You've not sat in the meetings I've sat in then. You've not tried to help people out of a situation that causes more stress. You know why more marriages end in, in divorce? You search it, you'll find it out. You Google it, you'll find it out. It's financial stress. It's people saying, I got a handle on it. I want to tell you, there's a better way. There's God's way. We've heard tonight from young people about wisdom. Instead of relying on the credit card industry to reward you for spending, why don't you reward yourself? How? By living the way God says on less than you make. Something our country has yet to figure out. Why don't you try keeping a zero-based budget? Refusing to go into debt. And you'll be racking up so much more than you'd ever get with credit card rewards. And I challenge and defy anybody to prove otherwise. You'll actually be building a life you can actually love with money you have in the bank and not somebody else's. Someone once said there are the haves, then there are the have-nots. And then there are the have-not paid for what you have. Another person said money talks, and when it does, it usually says goodbye. Many of us feel like the seven dwarfs leave every morning singing, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. The reality is that Americans are drowning in a sea of debt. Until we address the spiritual stronghold behind this destructive financial reality, we're going to remain in trouble. The indicator light still trying to warn us there is impending danger. Now, and to understand what victory over a debt stronghold looks like, I want to give us a point of reference in our understanding. And that is what living in financial blessing instead of financial debt looks like. Now what is financial blessing? What is a blessing? A blessing is your capacity to experience, enjoy, and extend the goodness of God in your life. It's your capacity to experience, enjoy, and extend the goodness of God in your life. In other words, a blessing, it's not really stuff. No, a blessing is the ability to enjoy the stuff you have. You say, I don't think so. Well, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said it is so. See, many people have a house that is not a blessing because their house is not a home. Many people have nice cars that are not a blessing because they hate driving that car to a job where they do not feel satisfied and fulfilled. 
Others may have nice clothes that are not a blessing because they're miserable on the inside while wearing them. Blessings involve much more than mere external things. A blessing is your capacity to enjoy what God has given you with a spirit of contentment, ease, and satisfaction while simultaneously being a blessing to others. You see, when people are no longer free to make life choices apart from how they're going to be able to continue to pay 18% interest or more on credit cards or to make their mortgage or car payment while making no progress toward lessening the mountain of debt they're under, that's no longer a blessing. It's a form of slavery. Proverbs 22 and verse 7 says, The borrower is servant to the lender. Number two, we see the stronghold. Number two, I want you to see God's viewpoint. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's see God's viewpoint. Scripture tells us it really is abnormal for a Christian to live in debt. Psalm 37, 21, the wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. Romans 13, verse 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. In fact, God makes a direct connection between spiritual responsibility and financial accountability. You find in Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 11, if you just want to put the reference down, a refusal to handle money God's way can actually limit God's responsiveness to you and the other requests that you make to Him. In other words, you may be praying for God to heal you, but if you don't handle your finances right, God's not obligated to answer the prayer request on healing you or helping you if you don't respond to His Bible truth about handling your finances. Finances. He makes the connection between spiritual responsibility and financial accountability. Now, although the Bible does not condemn legitimate borrowing, it does condemn borrowing in such a way that you're not able to pay it back or pay it back without incurring a substantial loss. Then number three, I want you to see God's solution. God's solution to the debt stronghold can be summarized with three simple words. Give, save, and spend. Your financial freedom is tied to these three principles. First one is give. This is the initial action that should happen anytime you receive from God. What is that? Give to Him. He gives so you can give. The average Christian in America gives less than 3% of his or her income to God. I didn't say the average American, the average Christian in America. Roughly 85% of Christians do not tithe and approximately 40% give nothing. Again, we're going to be having our stewardship emphasis this month. And that will come up on a year. And we're going to, again, emphasize our tithe. Uh, we are not living off of 100% of what we have. We live off 90% that belongs to us because 10% tithe belongs to Him. I just have the privilege of delivering it to Him. 
And we're going to talk about that and we'll again have our time of emphasis upon missions. We had our missions conference, didn't take up missions, uh, faith promise, because we're doing that this month coming up on a year. But when it comes to the matter of tithe, I've said before, it doesn't take a lot of faith. It just takes obedience, he said, to do it. Do you know... Dr. Child's mass larceny is taking place in the kingdom of God, yet many wonder why the kingdom of God is failing to advance in our nation, in our world. It's because many, half of the disciples of Jesus Christ in America are simply robbing God. It's no surprise that we often end up as victims rather than victors in this spiritual warfare. But you know, God delights in and He rewards Faith and obedience. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Without faith it's impossible to please Him. Those that come to God must believe that He is. He is what? He's God. And that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And no greater faith in God can be revealed concerning your finances than giving to God out of obedience from what He has already given to you. Whenever God gives something, He always holds something back. For example, when God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, he gave them everything except what was the one thing, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, Adam and Eve were free to enjoy all that had been created for them in the garden except one tree. Why? Because by holding something back, God reveals two things. He reveals whether or not you truly trust him. And number two, whether or not you can submit to his sovereignty. The act of giving to God out of our finances and our material gains will show our trust in God and our submission to his sovereignty. See, when people say, I just can't seem to get my finances in order and give to God, ultimately what you're saying is, I am such a mess. I am horrible at stewarding my life. I have no business dictating what I do, but I'm still not going to listen to the one who's perfect and loving. Throughout the Bible, we're instructed to honor God with the best resources that he has provided us. The principle of giving shows up very early in the scriptures, by the way. And one important place we see it is in the book of Genesis where we read that Abraham, he gave the priest of Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem, he gave him a tenth of all before the law was established. It's in Genesis 14 and verse 20. In Proverbs chapter 3 verses 9 through 10, it gives a condition that we must fulfill. That is, if we reap from God, we must sow to God. In these verses and others, God is still connecting giving to him with the state of the economy in which he enables you to live. He says that by trusting him, coming underneath his authority and returning to him the portion that he is asking that he's given to you, you open the door. You open the door and the window of heaven for God to return more back to you. In fact, that's what Malachi 3 and verse 10 says of it. He says he opens up the window of heaven and he will pour out so much that you won't even have enough room to put it all. Anybody feel like that? God says, that's what I want to do. See, get this down. God longs 
to bless you. He longs to bless you. He wants you to know first that you acknowledge. He knows. He wants you to know first that you acknowledge him as your ultimate source, that you fear him, you delight in him, you trust him. God says that when you honor him with your finances, he'll do things for you that you could never do for yourself. In Malachi 3, where he talks about opening up the windows of heaven and pouring out a blessing, he says that that, uh, he will turn things around that you didn't even know could be turned around. God can show you the way out if you will trust him by walking in faith through giving to him even more. He says in Malachi 3 and verse number 11, he will rebuke Satan and the demons, talking about the spiritual warfare that goes with this debt stronghold, that God says, I will step in as the greater authority and I can deal with the satanic stronghold. In other words, he will do for you what you can't do for for yourself. He will also make what you do have stretched further than you thought it could. I can already hear some of you saying, but pastor, didn't the practice of the tithe stop when Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law? Well, that's a fair question. However, we must remember that the tithe was first mentioned again in Genesis 14 before the law was given. And then Hebrews 7 and verse 11 tells us that Jesus came as the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And verse number 8 also of Hebrews references the fact that the continuation of the tithe. While the law has been fulfilled, both the principles behind the tithe and the priest over the tithe have continued. Someone says, I knew it wouldn't be long before he gets to tithe. Well, I didn't want to disappoint you either, so. The greatest truth I could ever give you regarding your finances is this one. God is your source. God is your source. Everything else is a resource. If you will mark that and put it down, God is your source. Everything else is a resource. Never treat the resource as if it were the source because then the resource will control you. Never treat the resource as if it were the source because the resource will control you. Not only that, the resource will get the honor, the time, and the attention that only God should receive. Honor God first. Honor God foremost, not only through a tithe, but also giving to Him as He leads you. We're going to talk about missions, faith promise. We're going to talk about our vision. Some of you gave an increase. You've given above your tithe. Maybe God would have you do it again. Humanly, it's impossible. If we put down on paper what we're giving versus what we're making, many of you would say, there's no way I can do that. But little is much when God's in it. In doing so, and you're following the Lord's leadership, you acknowledge Him as your source. He's your provider. And if you're still hesitant and saying, Pastor, I just can't afford to give, my response is simple. You cannot afford not to give. 
God is your source. And giving is what he asks of you. So, give. Number two, save. Save. The second word we're looking at in this, this matter of overcoming debt strongholds is save. An estimated 35% of all Americans have absolutely no savings. While debt is paying for yesterday, savings is putting something away for tomorrow. Proverbs 21, 20, we'll read that only a foolish man spends all that he has, setting aside nothing for savings. In Proverbs 13 and verse 22, the scriptures equate goodness with leaving an inheritance for your grandchildren. One of the greatest examples of savings in the Bible, I think, comes through the wisdom of Joseph. Remember when in Egypt and surrounding nations were about to enter into a famine, Joseph advised Pharaoh in Genesis 41 verses 35 through 36. He says, and let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities and that food shall be forestored to the land against the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land perish not through the famine. And what happened? Famine came and those under Joseph were taken care of because he learned to save. Listen, let me give you this picture. Do you know what would happen if people save even a nominal amount? 16, are there any 16 year olds? Raise your hand, 16. All right. Dr. Childs, you're 16 there. I mean, if they're not gonna raise their hand, somebody's got to. Listen to this, if at the age of 16, every year until you retire, if you put aside $100 every month, assuming a lifetime average of 6% interest, $100 every month, by the time you retire, you'll have a million dollars. And that's easy. If you start at the age of 25, is there a 25 year old in 25s? All right, Brother Jonathan, Brother Robert, and Brother Robert, no, back there. And, and um, you got to do some calculation there real fast. You'll need to save $300 a month, but if you do so, you'll still reach that same million. If you wait until the age of 30, I'm not going to ask because it's not going well, those are raising their hands. You'll need to save $450 a month to hit that million mark, but it's doable. And if you delay until the age of 40, you'll need to put $1,000 in each month. And at the same goal, by the time you retire at 65, you'll have a million dollars just by doing $1,000 a month. In other words, wherever you fall on the grid, even if you are above 40, it's essential to set aside a portion of every dollar you earn for saving. Start somewhere because you're saving not just for your future, but the future of your children. And not just the future of your children, but the future of your children's children. Now let me say with that too, I know I've helped some as they're preparing for their, their going home to be with the Lord. And, and, and it's not just the older ones that should be thinking about that. Everybody should. If you have children, you should be preparing and planning. You should have a, at least a simple will. 
Because if you don't determine what to do with what you have, somebody else may determine, and you may not want them determining, especially if you have benefactors, children in the equation. I want to tell you, parents and grandparents, you should feel no obligation to take care of leaving your things to children and grandchildren who care not about the Lord. Why, if they've not followed your counsel and wisdom and leadership and love in these years, would you leave resources to just enable them in their hardness against God? What should I do with it? Ask God. But God's not going to tell you to enable a bull-headed fool or a pig-headed fool. In fact, you could leave it to the church that you've been sitting in every week that they refuse to adjoin you in coming to. Amen. I'll give you a third one. Spend. Spend. The last word we'll look at in overcoming debt strongholds is spend. So I didn't think we talked about spending and overcoming debt strongholds where you're going to spend. But the question regarding spending is how do you spend well? You're going to give an account to God, so why not live as though you're going to give an account to God? Even the things you're going to leave behind, you're going to give an account to God. So why not make wise decisions now? How do I do that? Practice the presence of God now. See, if you don't manage your money, it will manage you. It'll manage your emotions and your time and your decisions. Proverbs 16 verse 3 tells us and teaches us that God blesses the plans that have been committed to him. Proverbs 21 and verse 5 tells us that the plans of the diligent... That's going to lend itself to plenteousness and blessing and value and profit. And yet, despite this truth, many households do not even operate on a budget. A budget. A budget is simply a plan. Without a plan, our spending may easily exceed what is coming in. And that's how many people accrue debt. Another thing to consider as you make your financial plan is the difference between what you want and what you need. Philippians 4.19 assures us that God will supply and meet our need according to His riches and glory. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich... Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter number 6, they're going to fall into a temptation and a trap. And they're going to fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts that will drown men into ruin, into destruction. Why? Because it's the love of money. It's the love of things. It's the love of more. That's the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, they've wandered from confidence in God and they've been pierced through with many griefs and heartaches because they've not learned to be content. You may not have what John or Jenny may have, but that's not the point. The question is, do you have all that you need? You may want to drive some souped up Escalade, but you need a dependable car. 
You may want a Gucci bag, but you need a purse. I think every woman needs a purse. I've not been able to convince my wife of that in 25 years. She just doesn't like purses. But I've bought her some bags over the years, so I didn't carry all of those accoutrements in my pocket. I love my wife. (laughs) You may want a five-bedroom house, but you need maybe just a roof over your head. There's nothing wrong with having material blessings if you can pay for them after you have given and after you have saved. But what we can't do is confuse our wants with our needs. We're free to spend what God has given us, but that spending needs to be done with wisdom. When you align your finances underneath God's overarching principles of giving and saving and spending, that's when we begin to see God work in freeing us from the stronghold of debt. Now, in closing, what to do if you're in debt? Let me just be real practical here. If you're in debt, you're not alone. Still, just because you're not alone doesn't necessarily encourage us. What I think ought to encourage you is that you don't have to stay in debt. You don't have to continue throwing $577 each month into an auto loan for a car that loses 60% of its total value over the first five years of its life. You don't have to do that. You don't have to continue carrying student loan debt into what should be your restful retirement years. Listen, your income is your greatest wealth building tool. But when you have debt, you can't build wealth because you're spending part of this month's income to pay for something last month, last year, or even last decade. And when you get out of debt and finally take back your income, all of it, you can move forward with your finances and paying off whatever debt you have probably won't take nearly as long as you think it will. And here's how you can get out of debt. Just a very practical, let me throw this at you and we're done. Number one, list out all of your debts. List it. A lot of people don't do this because they don't want to see it. But there's something powerful about looking it right dead in the eyes. Research shows that nearly half, that is 46% of Americans, say their debt level creates stress and it makes them anxious. So don't put your head in the sand. Write it down and look at it. Yes, look at your debt in the eye. It might be difficult, but you can follow a plan to attack it head on when you finally face the facts. You're on the path away from money stress. So keep walking down that path. Number one, list out your debts. Number two, save a starter, a starter emergency fund. Before you attack your debt, make sure you've got at least $1,000 saved as a starter emergency fund. Why? Because as you're paying off debt, life happens. We're talking about a flat tire, leaking refrigerator, unexpected medical bill. And if you don't have money saved up to pay for cash emergencies, you'll be tempted to put that on the credit card and go deeper in debt. Number three, pay off your debt with the debt snowball method. That is, 
pay off the non-mortgage debt from the smallest to the largest with the debt snowball method. Now don't sit and argue with the math and ask about the interest rates. I'm always amazed and intrigued by people who want to argue about that who are being strangled by the debt itself. The point of the debt snowball method is momentum and motivation. So you pay the minimum amount on all of your debts except the smallest, and that's the one you go after hard. And when it's out of the way, you put all the money you were throwing at it onto the next smallest debt, and you just repeat and repeat and repeat until you're debt-free. And you'll get quick wins along the way. And those quick, quick wins, they do something in keeping you motivated and moving. Number four, get the help that you need along the way. I want to say it again. You're not in this alone. And guess what? You don't have to figure everything out on your own either. And listen, it actually works. The average debt paid off in the first 90 days of working, this plan that I've mentioned, the average debt paid off in the first three months is $5,300. And when you've built a solid foundation of knowledge, it makes the debt-free journey quicker and easier. And that's a true win-win. And we have a, a financial peace counselor and Christy has, has gone through the courses and, and much of what I'm giving you is straight out of the Dave Ramsey playbook. And people say, I don't like Dave Ramsey. I don't like his method. But I'm going to tell you, when a person is an alcoholic, they don't need to hear how you can drink moderately and get by. And when a person is bound in the stronghold of pornography, they don't need to learn what you can watch and what you can do and not tank. And when a person is involved in a debt stronghold of debt they don't need to know how they can get rich quick and how they can move funds here and there they need to know how to get free from the debt the stronghold so they can be free to serve God and if you're interested you can you can contact the number we have you can text the number here tonight several have and outside the church and inside the church and said, I like, I like to be able to, to just sit down and, and she's great at walking you through this and, and she and I can do it or she can do it. And, and um, you don't have to live this way. You don't have to live in this debt. And then let me give you this last one. Number five, just don't give up. Don't give up. Some days paying off your debt is going to seem harder than others, but don't give up. Here's the deal. Debt is common, but it's really holding you back from living your financial dreams today and far into the future. You're worth this investment of time and energy to break away from this stronghold of debt. By God's grace, you can do it. Let's stand together, please.